Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Welcome back to another episode of My Lord and My God, your show on the Eucharist and growing more in love with Christ through the Eucharist. We are here for another week with our guest, Tim Glimkowski. He is one of the key leaders in the Eucharistic Revival. Um, He's the executive director of the National Eucharistic Congress. Welcome back, Tim. Oh, it's so great to be with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed our our conversation, our first conversation. So it's great to be back. I enjoyed it as well. I think yeah. um, my I feel like we left it on a starting to get feisty. I know kind of point. And then we just like we're like, OK, bye. Like, That's oh, what I was just going to say. I was like, later. my favorite thing was the last thing we talked about, how the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to do it all. So yeah. it's good to pick back up. Love it. No, I'm 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 feisty about uh, renewal in the church, so it doesn't take much to get me there. So uh, yeah, same, same That's here. Awesome. Fred kind of always he's like, oh, feisty care is coming. I was like, I got my soapboxes. <laughs> That's good. I have a few of my own, so it's all good. That's good. But, but that's it, right? Like all of us, you know, I, I think for me, I don't know if you feel this way, but like it comes from, uh, I encountered Jesus personally when I was 18 years old and it changed my life, right? And it was Jesus in the Eucharist. It was a moment of adoration at a Steubenville Youth Conference. And, but, but in so many ways at the same time, I've experienced the dissonance of like, all, I went to a Catholic high school, right? And like of the of the 200 or so graduates, right? If like 20 are still practicing the faith, I'd be sort of shocked. And and I don't think that's because the gospel is irrelevant or ineffective. I think it's because like they didn't really have a chance to encounter Jesus personally. And so I get, I do. It's like I've been part of. I don't know if you feel the same way. It's like I, I it's pers- it's personal to me. There's you yeah. know there's people who I know for whom the answer to every question and longing of their heart is Christ and. Um, I, I, I want the church who has that mystery and that gift present within her to be able to more, um, effectively express that to the human heart. So, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. As you, as you mentioned that, that, that brings up the question before we started recording, we were talking about how some folks view the, the Eucharistic revival as being something that's largely catechetical, that the problem is really just that people don't know know theologically Mm -hmm that it's Christ present in the Eucharist, but you articulated beautifully. I, I actually wish we would have hit record care. Cause it was, it was, it was beautifully like how the Eucharistic revival is something much more than that. It's something much more profound than that. And could you share with our listeners exactly what that, what that is? Yeah. I mean, a critical part of it is addressing that core problem of belief. Right. Um, I just think the reality is that belief is a complex reality. Um, I think I think truth, beauty and goodness have a lot to do with whether or not we're able to apprehend an assent to the truth uh, of, of what God has revealed in Christ. So, yeah, I think for me, the way I like to explain it is the Eucharistic revival is for sure a renewal um, and a revival of belief in Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, but it's also uh, a revival through Jesus in the Eucharist, right? It's like a revival of the church through the Eucharist, right? And so it's, you know, it's kind of... And of the heart, like we're the church. Right. And then, yeah, what is the church? But, you know, um, everybody, you know, we are the body of Christ. So I think... um, that that's really important to me. Like for me, I, I remember I had I had my personal encounter, like I said, I was 18, and then someone gave me a Scott Hahn book and it blew my mind. You know what I mean? To like I think it was Lamb's Supper, and it was just 
whether or not I'd ever heard the doctrine before, if you ask me, I can't remember anyone actually even saying that we believe that this is Jesus. Like seriously, you know, yeah. like 18, yeah. 19 yeah. years old. Yeah. Par- like I, I can't recall someone saying that, but even if they had, it hadn't been pre- presented as uh, orchestrally and as beautifully and and defended so adequately. Like here's where in the church fathers, we, you know, this is why we believe this and in the Bible and in this, like ever the saints and everyone has, and it really opened my eyes to that, to that reality. So like, I really do think, yeah, that uh, not just like, you know, it, it, here's the doctrine, but like, you know, sort of uh, that fundamental exposition and, and, and full, you know, really appealing to the, to the full reason in presenting the doctrine is an important part of it. But I also think like, it's been something I've kind of relitigated over the years in my mind, right? Like Monday morning quarterback, my own encounter with Christ at that youth conference. Right. And certainly truth was part of it. Uh, yeah. But also, you know, the beauty of the moment and the music and the, you know, smells and bells and, you know, all that yeah. stuff. But it was also the goodness, right? The witnesses of of different speakers or those with me in my group. Uh, in my, right? Like I saw something in them where grace had actually made an impact on their life. And all of those were important for me in actually being able to say, okay, I think that's actually God. And if, the, and if that is, then what does that mean? And so, yeah, the Eucharistic revival is certainly about that. How do we help more people to have that kind of living relationship. But at the same time, it's this deeper thing of the church herself, uh, I think is in need of revivification and renewal. Yeah. And and how does that happen? Well, it doesn't just happen through uh, all of our best guesses and strategic plans, but it comes when we, when we come back to, whenever you look at the history of the church or the people of Israel or anything, it's like when you come back to, 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 to relationship and to conversion, that's where that happens. I think that goes to what you were saying in in the first episode too. Like the person who is going to bring about revival isn't us, is not our amazing plan. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. And I remember the same thing when I was growing up. Like I probably heard that Jesus, we believe that the Eucharist is truly Jesus. I probably heard that, but I didn't care. And then uh, the same with you, you know, I, I had an encounter with the person of Christ in the Eucharist and then I cared. So I, I think it's a beautiful thing that it's focused, the revival is focusing on. Yeah, you need to understand the realities of the Eucharist and that it is truly Christ. But before we care about those things and before they change our life, it's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who is going to change our life and make us want to grow more in love with the Eucharist. And so if I'm just going to throw this out there. If you are currently planning something for the Eucharistic revival. If your plan has nothing to do with adoration, your plan is trash thrown out. <laughs> like that's, I, so, that's going to be so box for things. That's going to be a soapbox thing. Cause if you're not getting your people in front of face to face with Christ, then it's not going to do anything for your parish or for your diocese. It's Christ who's going to do it within them. Sorry, that's awesome. Awesome. No, that's awesome. And even, even the mass, right? Like the mass should yes, be and the a, mass. Sorry, yes. that, that, that should be a place of encounter, right? It shouldn't just be this like habitual routine, uh, you know, kind of thing where we like. So, it, but it, but it's totally it's 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 everything you're saying. Like when when I go, uh, people <laughs> people people now want me to come talk about the Eucharistic revival a lot, whether it's to like diocesan leaders or to their parish or whatever, right? And every time I go, like I I make sure that we spend at least a portion of that time talking about the gospel and the story of salvation history and preaching the charisma because it's like if if we don't get the why, Mm -hmm. any like all of it it makes sense. Every rosary, statue, smell, bell, like doctrine, every sacrament, like all of it 
there's a there's a story which is why any of it is relevant matters and is like and and if you don't get that you're you're not yeah exactly it's exactly like you said it's just going to be I I would see this in my my um I taught high school theology and I and I you know it, it was the same exact thing like I felt like I did an adequate job often of you know we'd spend years sometimes with these kids in class and I'd give them every every argument that I had in my you know my tool belt. And it wasn't until they went on that retreat or they went and, and they'd come back and it's like, it all makes sense now. And it's yes. just like, I've, I've seen it too many times in my own life to, to ever just think, yeah, that, that argument without relationship is, is, is adequate. Isn't that so funny? Sometimes you take them on retreats and it's like, oh yeah. When that speaker said this and you're like, you know, I've said this for three years, like, <laughs> yeah, but Jesus yeah. was also present. And so right. Jesus was like instilling what that speaker was saying. Yeah. Totally. totally. To humility. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you humble for sure. Yeah. yeah. You're so right though. Cause like, I, I know we have a lot of folks listening that do want to see renewal in the church and do care deeply about the mm -hmm. church and, you know, similar to what you were sharing earlier, I give this these training trainings in our area on casting a vision for renewal, renewal in your parish and parish renewal and whatnot. And, you know, I start it by asking a question, Karen, I love to ask people, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? And so, you know, I started there, but it, it's part of the the obligatory introduce yourself, the, the thing that every adult hates, you know, tell us where you're from a little about yourself. And then you just go around the room, like every adult hates that, but, but you do that. And then I ask them the question as part of that introduction, please tell me, answer this question. How has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? And what happens is what should be a five minute introduction turns into 30 minutes, 30, yeah. 40 minutes. And then once everybody's done, and sometimes people are moved to tears yeah. as that process continues, I ask the question, why do you think I started that way? And all of them will, will say, we were wondering that too, <laughs> you know, because that's not typical. And then I challenge them, that like, if you're not willing to share that, that encounter with Christ in the Eucharist, then we can't even talk about renewing your parish at that point. Yeah. Because it starts there. This is a room full of folks you may or may not know, but it's, it's a safe space. Right. You all, and, and you, you need each other. Like right. clearly your testimonies affected each other. Right. You need that testimony and you need to share your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist because that's what's going to make a difference. That That's what the world needs to hear. So um, can I ask you that question? Would you be willing to answer that question? How has your encounter in the Eucharist changed your life, Tim? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I even feel right now, um, I kind of keep joking with people. Like I feel that one of the reasons I'm convicted about what Jesus is doing through the Eucharistic revival is I've been experiencing it in my own life as like the closer I've come to this project, the more I've felt like this just kind of like tug, like the the drain is just pulling me in, you know, like in a, in a new way. And it's been really beautiful. So it's different seasons, right? It looks like different things right now. It looks like a certain way in our, in our family life and in, in my own life. I mean, the, the, the original one that's Pope Francis always talks about, right. Going back to that original encounter. So for me, I was, um, 18 student Middle youth conference. My mom forced me on this bus. So I grew up in a very Catholic family. <laughs> uh, so we, you know, my, my parents had had their conversion when I was in second grade uh, through a, a retreat program called Curcio. Uh, and they were, you know, kind of culturally Catholic, Chicago land area. You know, she, my mom is Irish, Northside Irish. My dad is Southside Polish. Like, um, 
but I really took them deeper. And I think for me, I don't know. I, it, it's something I think about a lot um, is like looking back on it is like, is it that I did not believe or was it that the world was more appealing or there were just like enough dissonant voices, but certainly wasn't like, was it was very much around the church all the time and had no, um, it was pretty rebellious, you know, kind of classic high school stuff, but just yeah, like a right. lot of stupid, you know, but um, yeah, so it kind of got forced on this bus to go to this youth conference 10 hours away, Steubenville, Ohio. And um, the first night there heard the gospel preached for the first time uh, in a really compelling way that sort of like really demanded something of me it, like demanded a response is how it felt. Like if this is right. who Jesus actually is, then, you know, like the, almost like that whole, like um, in a certain sense, like that liar lunatic Lord thing, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have put it in those words. And I don't think the speaker did either, but it was almost that like the only thing Jesus cannot be is sort of like a benign part of your life. Like he's either it's, this is either God. And that means that demands everything or he's not. And, this should be abandoned entirely. And I sort of wandered around the campus that whole next Saturday, like <laughs> just wrestling with this question of like, if this is real, it means everything. And like everything about me has to change or it's not real. And then it means nothing. And I'm coming, I'm going home and I'm like telling my mom, I'm not going to church anymore. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and so that, that evening they had an adoration with like a procession around the field house, you know, they kind of bring Jesus close. And as Jesus came close in the Eucharist, I just kind of said like, all right, Lord, if you're real, I'm open. Like this is, if this is, you know, I'm, I went, I'd gone to confession that day. That was actually kind of like a key part of it for the first time in like a really long time. And, um, like, all right, Lord, if you're real, I'm open. And, um, just kind of got floored. Like, nothing crazy, you know, it's not like I was like seeing visions or anything, but just had like a really deep, right. Those who've had a personal encounter kind of, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Like it was the first time that it was really like, this isn't just a conceptual thing, but God is real. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Blaise Pascal talks about that, right. He had, a, he had uh, the famous, you know, philosopher and Pascal's wager, right. And mathematician, he had this like personal encounter one night and he talks about you know not the god of the philosophers but the god of abraham and isaac and he just you know fire he wrote like a note after this happened and he's just like you know kind of like gasping for words and that all made you know that all made sense to me and so it did it, it took i got back from that that retreat and honestly it took like a year to actually like make the decision fully to be like i'm no longer gonna live for myself but i'm gonna live for christ but i remember about a year later that that may i went it was after graduation from high school i went knelt down in the after a daily mass and like handed my life over to, to Jesus and sort of like totally changed, broke off a lot of friendships and kind of handed myself to Christ. But it was, it was that, you know, um, I love the line from St. Paul, right? Like I consider everything as so much rubbish compared to the surpassing, you know, joy I found in Christ Jesus. And, yeah. and that, that was like, yeah, that was it. I don't know when, like at the end, at the end of, I don't know, since that moment in some ways, like, you know, I don't know, because even I encounter, like even to this day, right, like I encounter a lot of people in professional ministry or in the church or different, like where it's just like there was a gift and a grace because of the way the encounter happened. The encounter happened to really say that and mean that. Like I prefer, I prefer nothing. Like I, I want, and God has confirmed that and brought that decision deeper in so many different ways, but there was, there was something about realizing like, if that, if that little white host is actually Jesus, then like nothing, I don't, I, that I don't have to be afraid. I think that was actually part of it. Like I was, I was so afraid all the time. It was like, I never have to be afraid again and nothing else matters the way that that matters. And, um, 
and have tried to live. I don't know. That's something I'm really convicted about is like that, that, that living that way takes risk. Like yeah, it takes yeah. even the, the kind of ministry and work you all are doing, right? Like it takes, there's risk in that. There's risk in the gospel. Like it, 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 it means something to push all your chips in on yes. Jesus. But and, with um, the risk is a great deal of trust. That's it. The risk is what it feels like. Like it's that gut wrenching, but it's, it's actually the most like people talk all the time, even in ministry, right? Like people say to me like, oh, well, like, shouldn't you go find like a more, you know, like sort of sensible career or something, you know, like, and it's like any company, look at these companies that are doing thousands and thousands of layoffs now. Like I'm supposed to put my trust in Amazon and that like, it's like, no, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus yeah. and wherever Jesus leads me, whether that's to the ministry in the church or whether that's to selling software or whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah, I'm going right. to go do that. And so that like, like that's, it's exactly that. It, it 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 feels like risk, but but there's actually no more sure path if you have eyes to see. And I feel like it's kind of like when you are stepping out of the boat and there's storm like waves just all around. Like you can you can feel the waves, like it's a risk, but deep down, like at the bottom of the water, everything is just very tranquil. Like I can feel worried because I'm taking a risk, but my soul is at peace. And so it's okay mm. because there's that trust. I really liked as part of your testimony that like your words were. Um, if you're real, I'm open because I feel like, so the title of the show is my Lord and my God. And it comes from, um, doubting Thomas. Like when he got to touch the wounds of Christ, those were his words. He's like, I recognize you. And I feel like that was him. Like he was the only one who was willing to share his doubt. Mm -hmm. He gets such a bad rap, but it was in that doubt that he's actually opening himself up to, up to Christ. He's like, I don't even know if you're real. And he's like, well, here, I'm going to show you. And then he's the one who's able to recognize him. So I feel like it's um, very fitting for, you know, your testimony on the show. Like if you're real, I'm open. You're giving him that little like sliver of, hey, I'm showing you my doubt. Like you got to speak into this. So that's very beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. I'd almost challenge anyone listening to like make that prayer for like a whole year and see what happens. And, and then I'll at some point, if you, that's it. He's not afraid. He's not afraid no. of our doubt. He's not afraid. Even now to this day, the ways the Lord chooses to work with me, weak and broken as I am and insufficient in every imaginable way. It's just, it's like the, it's the most scandalous thing to me. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but it's like, he's not, he's not, he's not worried about that. He's not afraid of that. Like he can work in the midst of that. He can work in the midst of the storms, but then here's the big piece, right? So if you're real, I'm open and I had an encounter, but the decision Yep. You know what I mean? I went back home and I started partying with my friends again, right? Like there, there's, it's like, he showed me something and then there's, there comes the moment where it's like, all right, he, he's, he's given, he's shown the doors open a little bit. And are you going to, Christianity is a narrow way that then opens into a magnificent horizon of endless, you know, joy and freedom and life. But to, to take that, that, you know, there's a the thing there. Ooh, I like that image. I like, that's one of my favorite passages of like, you know, enter through the narrow gate. Mm -hmm. I've, I don't think I've ever thought of it visually, but I think if I had, it would be like a hallway, like a narrow hallway. I like that you enter through it and it's just endless. Like it's wide open. That's beautiful. I see like a little tunnel. You have to crouch, right? Yeah, to, yeah. It's, it's the humility. You got to, you got to crouch and get through, but, but like you crawl like the wardrobe, you crawl six feet and you come out the other side in Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I like it. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> We're getting some fruit just <laughs> within our own spiritual lives. Hopefully that's the same for people listening. You guys are just great to talk to. So I appreciate it. Yeah. It's very, I, I really enjoy, uh, I've enjoyed being on with you.
Well, that's awesome. I have a question because um, we're probably coming close to the end of our time here as well. For those who are um, really interested in, you know, helping helping support the Eucharistic revival, but within their themselves, like I want to get the most out of this effort. So I want to grow closer with Christ. What advice would you have for those people who are like, I'm just gung ho about this. Let's go. I do think like joining up as a Eucharistic missionary. Yeah. And to go on our website and there's a, there's a link, get involved there to put in your name and email and be part of this community. I think there's going to be a lot of sort of effort we put into cultivating and, um, engaging with that community. And I would really encourage people to do that. It's it's just going to mean, yeah, a simple commitment to a, a, an increased depth of prayer, of formation, and then of apostolic outreach or service. But to me, like, um, be part of something. Like, mm-hmm. we, we should, yeah, there's a, there's a million ways that we could do this on our own um, to, yeah, sign up for a weekly holy hour that we haven't been doing or to, um, you know, yeah, read that a great book on the Eucharist and just kind of rekindle to kind of stir into flame, right? Like my, my, my wife and I uh, do date date nights, not because we're still trying to figure out whether we want to be married to each other, but because <laughs> we want to go deeper in that relationship. You need to still right? date your spouse hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So it's like, you know, yeah. Setting up those, those, those dates with Jesus, you know, or like yeah. finding ways to kind of keep uh, in front of us that the depth of that mystery and allow it to pull us deeper and open our hearts to that and surrender to it in new ways important. And we can do that on our own, but I would really encourage people to do it together with us instead to be part of this, uh, Eucharistic missionary group. Um, because I, I really think there's going to be, there's something powerful, even in what Jesus is going to do collectively through the movement, in addition to whatever we're doing locally in our own area. And then for us, one of the things we did was, uh, um, we, we hosted, uh, with our pastor, a backyard adoration and just invited, honestly, like an array of super devout, uh, Catholics to like, not as we had a, we probably a handful of evangelicals there. And it was just like, let, let's just, and we, I, I just kind of presented like, here's the, here's why we're doing this. We want to invite you to this like moment of renewed encounter. And I attached it to the Eucharistic revival. And then we had a talk, a, one of the a lay consecrated virgin here, a friend of ours named Sunit Selesky gave this like beautiful, just kind of meditation on uh, Mary Magdalene and her encounter with uh, Jesus in the garden. And um, that was like, it was actually in your backyard. Did you actually have adoration in your backyard? Yeah. Well, we said, yeah, it was, you know, so we said to our pastor was like, we want to invite all of our friends like to something that, you know, could be sort of a, an on-ramp into a a moment of encounter and adoration. And so we, we sort of discerned if we did it in our backyard, it would be a little bit, you know, like inviting them all to the parish might be a little more threatening or something. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, Part of our studio is a chapel. Yeah. I'm like, Kara, how many people do you think we can squeeze in here? I know. I'm like, ooh, I can have Jesus in my backyard. I might have to clean up my dog poop, but I'll do it. <laughs> you would you would have to. We did have to do that as well. We have a pretty big uh 60-pound border college. That was we were dealing with that issue as well, especially for the for the kneeling. You know, yes, really, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have two yeah. huskies, so we'd have to do it. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. really beautiful. I yeah. like that idea. I think what I hear in that too, um, we love a a program called called and gifted. We're both trained team leaders do interviews and such, but we always encourage people discover the gifts God has given you and use those to build the kingdom. And I think I hear that in what you're saying too, like the gifts God's given you, how can you use them to share the good news Mm -hmm. of the Eucharist and Christ being present in the Eucharist? And I think Kara, I don't know. I I feel like I'm, I've been blessed by our time with you, Tim, because 
this effort, my Lord, my God, mm -hmm. is part of is one of those things that we're doing. Uh, using the gifts, the resources God's made available to us to do that. And yeah. so, and clearly you are too. You've been called to do this. Yeah, so that's yeah, really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I hope so. <laughs> I think yeah. so. But I, I, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Where it's like your calling. What, what does someone say? Your calling's at the juncture of yeah, sort of your gifts and your circumstances and the need of the world. You know. And so for us, yeah, that that was yeah. I'm not saying everyone needs to go do backyard adoration. It was sweet by the way. And then we just, yeah. we just did tacos after we just did like an hour. We had some music, you know, at time of, uh, and then, and then we had tacos and it was, it was powerful. Like our Lord really moved in that time. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. I'm saying for us, we're a family. We have like a, a decent sized backyard. We have a lot of friends that are of like, you know, of varying levels of, of relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. And we have a pastor who wanted to pray with us and say, how can we, how can we do this for people in our parish? And so that's what, that's what came out of that. But the, yeah, the, the, the principle is more pray and discern. What do I have? What does the world need? And how do we right. make those two things come together? That's the, that's the, that's the task more than just go do this now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's great. So if people want to hear more about you or more from you, um, and then more about the Eucharistic revival, where can they go? Eucharisticrevival.org. Uh, that's our website. Everything's there. The newsletter is the best way to stay in touch. If you get the okay. newsletter, that's like our, we're like prioritizing that as our core communication piece. Eucharisticcongress.org. You can sign up for early registration. February 15th, registration is going to open. Uh, and then I have a personal website as well too, timglumkowski.com. That just houses some of, um, it might be a little dated now, but it houses some of our ministry projects. Mm -hmm. So you can go there as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for your time, Tim. I think this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Yes, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Seriously, thanks for having me on. I just am so uh, grateful and impressed with your mission and in, in ministry. I'll be praying you on in a unique way. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Great. God bless.